<laughs> it's really a privilege to bring the word of God to you. And it's very interesting. Um, the worship has been talking about God resting on us because what I really wanted to share this morning, what God's really put on my heart is God leading us into rest, that the good shepherd knows his flock. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I've got my kids to memorize that as a rap. And God knows us and he wants to lead us into rest. So this morning we'll be talking about the good shepherd and how God um, leads us beside still waters and restores our soul, how he brings us into a Sabbath rest. Um, Paul and I have been reading this book at the minute. We're taking turns because we're sort of fighting over it, really. It's called God Has a Name by John Mark Comer. Um, a, an obvious statement, you might say, but I thought it was quite appropriate in the light of the fact that we've been looking at the names of God. Um, we know that God has a name. In fact, we've been studying Adonai, Jehovah Rapha, El Roy, Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh, Jehovah Sabaoth, El Shaddai, and El Elohe. We know that God has a name, and yet it's incredible to be reminded that God reveals himself to us in so many different ways in Scripture, doesn't he? And reveals a different facet of his character through his names. Um, this book takes one verse, um, which I'll read to you. And the Lord Yahweh came down in the cloud and stood there and proclaimed his name. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And what John does is he takes um, one phrase at a time and each chapter is a phrase of just that one verse and unpacks what it means when God reveals his name. It's very profound. thought I'd just recommend it to you. So let's look at the good shepherd. Um, and before we do that, I was thinking about what are some of the pressures that we face in everyday life. So I need some audience participation here. Um, what kind of things keep us busy? This image struck me from the internet of someone who looks very busy. If Sophia was still here, I'd ask her, what do you think parents keep us busy? Thanks, Kate. Anyone else? <laughs> Children keep us busy. Work keeps us very busy. Working nine to five. Work does keep us busy, sometimes more than nine to five, doesn't it? What else keeps us busy? Shopping, yeah, food shopping always seems to be a constant, doesn't it? Sometimes you bump into someone in Tesco's like I did yesterday and it makes the shopping a little less boring because you can have a quick chat on the way. But there are some tasks which just seem very repetitious, don't they? Oh, we need more nappies. Oh, we need more wet wipes. Oh, we've run out of food. The things that make up our lives can be quite monotonous, quite repetitive, like our work, um, family commitments. Um, and like this guy, he's juggling sport, he's juggling the baby, um, he's got his briefcase, he's got his iPhone. So in an age of technology, someone said, oh, the only place you can escape from technology now is the bath or the shower. But Apple iPhone has changed all that. 
you can now take your Apple iPhone, in Apple Watch, I should say, into the shower with you and know that your boss can still call you in the shower. Isn't that great news? Oh, dear. So it seems like there is no escape sometimes from the barrage of, in the modern world, of the things that target us, the things, the visual um, and the audio, the, the phone went off this morning and I said to Joy, oh, the phone went. Normally it's a beep beep for a text or a WhatsApp or, and I know working with teenagers, I'm a teacher um, at a big college in Bristol. One of the hardest things that I have to encounter is asking my teenagers to switch their phone off. And if I'm quick enough, I manage to slip the phone from their grasp without their fingers closing over it. No, you can't have my phone. So it's a very, it's a digital age. It's, a, it's an age where we are constantly being bombarded with work and demands on our time. Um, this lady looks quite harassed. And it made me ask the question, is time controlling us or are we in control of our time? Do we set time aside each week to spend with God, each day to spend with God? But we're going to be coming on to talk about the Sabbath rest and why God has ordained a day of rest and why it makes sense to have a day of rest in many, many ways. So I've asked Sharon whether she would read for us this psalm. Thanks, Sharon. You've got the roving mic, or you're welcome to come to the front. The roving mic's maybe easier because then you can read it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, waters of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Sharon. It's interesting, the, the second line, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, I've been made to lie down recently because I haven't been well, probably for about three weeks now. I've had like a throat infection and a sore throat. And I went to, finally went to the doctor on Friday. He said, yes, you've got a, a throat infection and a sore throat. I went, thanks. And I said, what should I do about it? And I could almost at the same moment, we said, you know, rest and drink lots of liquids. And I said, yes, I've been doing that. Anything else? And sometimes we leave the doctor, don't we, a bit grumpy. Can't you just give me a magic pill that will take this away? But the prescription is rest and liquids. And when we go back to the word of God, the good shepherd who knows us knows that we need rest and those of you in my home group know me very well, but I'm, I tend to be a little bit over busy. And Paul has been teaching me, thank goodness God gave me Paul as my husband, how to say no. 
That was a new concept for me when I met Paul. Paul said, Mel, you need your yes to be yes and your no to be no. And you need to say no sometimes. Oh, yeah. Because if you don't, you get burnt out. And also the commitments that you have are not going to be good because you're not going to be able to follow through on all of those things. So you have to pick the things that you're going to be committed to and commit and do those things well rather than be jack of all trades, master of none. You probably know all this. This is just because I'm quite, you know, basic that I need to be told this. But when we read this psalm, it reminds us, and I think we all need to be reminded to rest and that God wants to lead us into rest. And I don't just mean a good sleep, which is very important, but rest as in knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit and intimacy with Jesus that leads us to a place where we're so secure in who we are that everything comes out of that place of deep security and deep knowledge that we are loved, that we are God's child, and that we are deeply loved by God. And there's no shortcuts, there's no magic pill that will just magic us into this place of God's presence. We have to do the groundwork. When we look at the parable of the sower, first you have to prepare the ground, then you plant, then you water, and finally you reap a harvest. And God wants us to invest time with him. In John, we read these seven statements about who Jesus is. And it's really good to take one a day, maybe over the next seven days, and study them. That Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. And we were doing this in home group at Yana and Eagles once. I am the door. We were doing the actions to go with it. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. How incredible that Jesus has revealed himself to us through these statements of who he is. And a way that I draw near to God is by studying one of these, by picking one and thinking, what does it really mean? Let's unpack what it means for God to be our bread. Bread's something that we have to have, isn't it, to live And when we take the bread and we eat it, we're nourished and sustained by it. In John 10, it says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen, sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There's so much 
in that passage, isn't there? I am the good shepherd. Not I am a good shepherd. I am one of the many. I am the good shepherd. Our Heavenly Father knows us better than we know ourselves. Our husband or wife might know us very, very well. But God knows us better than anyone. And it takes time for us to listen to God's voice. If we look at the relationship of David, who was incredibly a shepherd out on the fields with the sheep, doing a very mundane task, looking after the sheep. Instinctively, he would have known when the sheep were hungry or tired or in danger. Instinctively, he would have known from their reactions when a wolf or a lion was nearby. He would have known them like his own, like a child, like a a parent knows a child. The hired hand runs away. And I was thinking about this recently um, because Paul and I... um, Recently in our community, we've been very affected by a tragedy that happened uh, recently, three weeks ago, on the M5, when a family's car was hit. Um, Tragically, the father was killed, and the daughter goes to our school. So she lost her father. Um, She and her brother have survived, and they're doing well, but their mother is still in a coma. This hit our, our, you know, the impact of this really hit our community, and It's incredible the way all the Christians in our community have come together to pray for this family who are going through this terrible tragedy. Um, Father John opened the parish church and there was a service, a prayer service. The headmistress asked me to go in and and ask the children to come to the prayer space to be able to pray for the family. Um, There's been such an amazing response of people saying, come and pray and to, to provide a space for the children to be able to grieve, ask questions. Um, It's been an amazing time, tragic and and terribly sad, but at the same time, God can bring hope in the midst of darkness, and it's incredibly dark for that family. Please pray for them. As a result of this tragedy, the conversation has come up with many parents. Have you got a guardian? Have you named people to look after your children? Because at the moment, these children don't have their parents. Their father has been killed, and their mother is in a coma. They had named guardians. Um, the father, whose name was Adrian, his um, brother and sister have come, sister, his brother and his brother's wife have come to look after the children. They have been named as the children's guardians. But when you sit down as parents and you have to n- think, who could we name to look after our children? It's no easy task. And when it says the hired hand runs away because he cares nothing for the sheep. It made me think that the people who care most about their own children are the parents. Because you've carried that child in your womb, you have an intimate and a unique relationship with that child which nobody else has. And in the same way, God has this right to parent us. He has won that right because he created us And we have this intimate relationship with him that is bought with his blood. That he has the right to say, I am the good shepherd. And a father who loves his child disciplines his child and says, you need to listen now because this is important. And there are times when we need to allow the shepherd to discipline us, to make us lie down, 
to make us stop, to sort of turn off all the technology, the iPhones, the TV, the radio, whatever it is that we're listening to, to silence the noise and listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And further on it says, they listen to my voice. They know my voice. When, um, some of you know that when I was a child, I was living in Israel. And my parents decided to move to live in Jerusalem. I said, where's that? <laughs> and they said, you know, where Jesus lived. And I was like, okay, because I was eight years old. I said, so we're leaving our home. We're leaving our school. And we're going to live in Israel. If I got that right. Yes. And that's what we did. It was quite unusual. So we went there. My sister was seven. I was eight. Barney's going to be eight on Tuesday, so it makes me think, wow, that's quite young. And when we got there, I remember after living there a few months, on a Friday, I particularly noticed a flurry of activity on a Friday afternoon where all the shopkeepers would pull all the metal shutters down at the front of their shop and would be hurrying off. Um, and then I would hear on the bus, because we used to get the bus to school and back, and so we were out in the marketplace, in the streets. I would hear people saying these words, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom would be re the reply. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. And there would be a greeting of a kiss or a handshake or a hug. And I said to my mum, why do they keep saying that on a Friday? Why do they keep closing everything down and saying Shabbat Shalom? My mum said, oh, that is because... The day of rest is coming. From Friday sunset to Saturday sunset is a day of rest. All evening, all day Saturday, rest. So they're going home early at 2 o'clock, and even the school I was in closed early on Shabbat. It was a, an Israeli, a Jewish school. It closed early in order for people to go home and make preparation for the Sabbath, for the Sabbath rest. And it was so embedded in the culture that it was commonplace and everyone understood. Nothing needed to be said. We're closed. You wouldn't expect to go to the shop and be able to buy anything because it would be closed. Shabbat, shalom. Shalom, peace. Shabbat, rest. May God give you peace on your holiday as you remember the Shabbat, which was to rest Shabbat means to cease or rest, and it's the seventh day of the Jewish week and is, and is the day of rest and abstention from work as commanded by God. Shabbat involves two interrelated commandments, to remember, zakor, and to observe, shamor. In many ways, Jewish law gives Shabbat the status of being the most important holy day in the Jewish calendar. It is the first holy day mentioned in the Bible, and God was the first to observe it himself with the cessation or the ceasing of creation. Jewish liturgy treats Shabbat as a bride or a queen. Shabbat is primarily a day of rest and spiritual enrichment. And if we turn to Genesis 1, we see in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. Moving down to verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Verse 9. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. And God said, 
Verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night. Verse 20, let the water teem with living creatures. Verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, and it was so. And God created man, verse 27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And verse 37, 31, sorry. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested. You might say, well, I'm very busy, you know, I'm a student, I have deadlines, um, I can't possibly, God rested. Well, you don't understand, I'm a doctor, I have shifts, I'm on call. God rested. Well, I'm a mum, I've got demands, I can't just stop looking after my kids, I can't have a day of rest because it's impossible to rest with, with, you know, with the children. God rested. Yeah, but I'm a pastor of a church, and the phone rings at any time. God rested. If God rested, I think I should. If that was his command, if after this incredible work of his creation, God rested, then we have his example, don't we, to follow. And it's amazing when you... Look at the clips on YouTube of the Jewish people celebrating Shabbat. It's very powerful. They prepare. They, they make sure that the shopping is done. They make sure that the house is clean. They make sure that they're ready. Um, a quote here from John Mark Comer who says, Every Sabbath should be a weekly celebration, almost like a holiday. Holidays require preparation. John's gospel refers to this as the day of preparation. Before the weekly tradition begins, before the candles are lit and the psalms are read, we go shopping, clean the house, clear our errands. For many followers of Jesus, powering down our phones and computers for an entire day, no social media, no email, no internet, is a life-giving break from a world wrought with digital addiction. With our day selected, it's not actually necessarily important which day it is, as long as it is a day of rest. Our chores done, our digital feed silenced, and our traditions established, we enter into a day of rest, worship, and intimacy with God. Set aside a healthy window of time to spend in prayer and in the scriptures alone or as a family. Listen to the Spirit of God. Create an uninterrupted, quiet place to simply be with God as you work to tune yourself to his presence throughout the day. 
As we settle into a consistent rhythm of rest and worship, we work to cultivate and maintain gratitude for the things that we have. By drawing our awareness to the often overlooked gifts around us, like the roof over our heads, our food that we have to eat, the relationships that we have here in the church and at home, we draw our focus away from shopping and from conversations about things that we don't have. And we give thanks for the things that we do have. So in the Jewish home, back in Israel, I was privileged to go to a Jewish home. And I watched the mother of that home light the Shabbat candles, which is what I'm going to do now, and recite the blessing. Just as a symbol of what the Jewish people do and have done for centuries and continue to do. It's like a golden thread that runs right through the Bible and right through Jewish tradition and history. And it's a very beautiful thing. So we can create this tradition. Many of you may keep Shabbat. Put your hands up if you keep Shabbat anyway. You, you have a day of rest within your week. Anyone? Kind of? Try and have a day of rest. I think it was just this particularly God laid on my heart that we create the traditions that we want to keep. We put the things in our home which we value. We choose how we're going to spend our time. And if you're young, brilliant, you can start now. And if you're older, you can start now. But something that I want to pass on to my children, just like the Jewish mothers teach their children, their, their girls, to light the candles and to usher in the Shabbat and to usher in this rest. And I read this quote online which says, it was said by a Jewish rabbi, more than Israel has kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept Israel. And I wondered if you could put sane <laughs> at the end of that. In terms of rest and keeping this tradition, it's not just keeping a tradition like, oh, we have turkey at Christmas because that's what we do. It's a tradition that is embedded in scripture. God rested. And we read in Exodus 20, um, on the day of grace's dedication, Tony led us through the, the Ten Commandments. And number four, the commandment reads, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. The seventh day is the Sabbath. So it is a commandment. If we're commanded to do it, it is something that we need to look at and think, hmm, how am I going to do that? How is that going to work for me? Um, in the traditional laws, it's um, quite incredible when you look at the laws that say you cannot tie or untie your shoelace. <laughs> Back in the old um, you know, Judaic tradition, the rules, the lists were endless. So they had timers that would make their lights come on because switching the light on would have been work. They would take out, I've seen women doing this, taking out the bulb inside the refrigerator so that when you opened the fridge, the light wouldn't go on because that was considered work. We're no longer tied by those minutiae of the law. We are free to celebrate the Sabbath in whatever way we interpret it. But the principle of the Sabbath is to spend time with God God rested. Um, this quote, Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. 
And Eugene Peterson, he uh, wrote the message, didn't he, that, that translation of the Bible. Um, we can step back enough to see this is what God's doing. And I think in the light of the, the tragedy that has struck the family in our school, I have spent many hours thinking about what that means to me. You know, what, what if that had happened to me on the M5, how would my life be different? And do I really value um, and appreciate and show I appreciate my family? Or is it easy to take the people closest to us for granted until they're not there? And then it's too late. It's too late. So it's very important to stop and to reevaluate and to reflect what does the Sabbath mean to me and how can I celebrate it? Two things that set the Sabbath apart um, in my mind is, is it rest? Is it worship? And does it bring us closer to God? So for some of us, going out for a long walk and having time in nature, um, for me, being in the house, I'm thinking, right, I should load the dishwasher, I should get the tea started, maybe I should tidy the kids' room. So I went for a walk, um, and I lay down on a bench on Friday, and there was this amazing tree over my head. It was absolutely magnificent. It was huge. And through it, the sunshine was just pouring through this tree, casting all these shadows through the leaves. And I said to God, wow, that must be the most beautiful tree in Bristol. I felt the Lord saying to me, there are millions of others. You just haven't noticed them. You know, it's not until you lie down on a bench and actually look up that you see the beauty, that you take the time to see the beauty of what's around us. That requires taking the time, doesn't it? Stopping what we're doing. So is it rest? Is it worship? And does it bring, it, bring us closer to God? Um, there are all sorts of ways in which we can experience um, rest. Sometimes music helps us. If I'm a bit stressed, Poppy says, Mum, you need to listen to some classical music. It chills you out. I was like, oh, thanks, Poppy. She's quite intuitive, that girl. Classical music sometimes, like just, just time and space. And sometimes if you've got a hectic life and a hectic family life, it can be really, this can be really challenging. Um, a family that we went to New Wine with, we camped with them. They live very near us. They said, we're celebrate. we're doing the Sabbath. And then we said, oh, how are you doing it? And they said, well, from Friday night until Saturday night, we have a day of rest. We take the kids' iPhones away from them. There is a bit of a battle at that stage. We put them all in a bag and our iPhones and our iPads, and we put them in the attic. We power them off so that we can't hear them, and we put them in the attic, and then we spend time together. We have a, a meal together. We light some candles, we spend time as a family, and then we maybe go th on the Saturday, we do something special together as a family, like go for a walk or something, we took the kids swimming, um, and we spend time together, and we read a psalm together, we have fellowship, we pray with one another, and the kids know it's the Sabbath, it's different from all the other days of the week. Um, and this is catching on. Because like, we now know five, six families, all who went to New Wine, who heard, this is where we heard John Mark Comer speaking about Sabbath rest and what it means to him and how he's kept this practice. And it's just kind of engaged us into thinking, how can we put this into practice in our family? So I'd really encourage you to think how you would put it into practice, because it's very personal how you would decide to celebrate the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, it says, And I gave them my Sabbath days of rest as a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who had set them apart 
to be holy. Um, in this day and generation, sometimes we can feel what sets us apart as Christians, what marks us out as the people of God. And having a day of rest is definitely one of the things which can mark us out as different. When I was a child, my mum used to put a white cloth over the television on the Sabbath and say, no TV. And when I was talking to Paul, he said, yeah, my grandma did the same thing. Anyone relate to that? No, it was just us. But it was like, no, we're going to have a day of rest. So in conclusion, the good shepherd knows what we need. He knows how to make us lie down. Sometimes it's like we've got our arms behind us, you know, bent. He's kind of forcing us. Come on, you need to lie down. You need to stop. You need to take stock. But he leads us. If we go back to the beginning, he leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul. Only God can do that. And when we have that place of peace in the Sabbath rest, from that point, we go out and we're so much more filled with God's love, with God's peace. We've got that stillness in our heart, which means that when we face a conflict at work, two kids had a big fight in my class this week, and I just said, Lord, show me what I should do to diffuse this, to just diffuse this. Give me the right words. And I found that God really does answer those prayers, especially if I've spent time with him first thing in the morning, and I've had my Sabbath rest. Everything comes from that place of stillness and peace. And God wants us to enjoy our lives and to know his intimacy and his peace. Let's pray.